All right, all right. Hey, let me start off by saying, uh, uh, first of all, say hello to other Western North Carolina campuses. Very excited about what God's doing in each and every place. And this week was sort of a, uh, a picture of that is, as the campuses came together and had a student camp. And it was, uh, it was the best student camp that we've, that I, I've been here 11 years almost, and it's the best one that we've ever had. So let me say this. Thank you uh, to a bunch of different folks. First of all, thank you to all the, the student team, just abs, pre- preparation uh, was prayed over, uh, very intentional. So uh, if, you, if you have a student in the student ministry, make sure you jot a note this week to uh, somebody on the student staff, Tyler Luttrell and his uh, crew just killed it. It was a, a extremely uh, anointed, well-done camp. So that, first of all, thanks for a great job, student pastors. Thank you for the adult volunteers. There's almost 100 of you all, I believe, that went and took a week of vacation and uh, ministered to the next generation. And uh, two other ones say, hey, thank you, Biltmore Church, for, uh, you know, just saying, hey, we're, we're some of us, I uh, was thinking about that this, this morning, uh, I'm not going to call us out on our ages, but there's a lot of us here that are not going to be here in 20 years, all right? We're, our time, to some degree, wherever you are, uh, that clock is ticking no matter where you are on that on that continuum. But bottom line is there's a limited amount of time. Part of our job is to pass on the gospel to the next generation. Uh, Some churches won't change because of that. You've changed because of that. And so well done church and making sure we're passing the faith on to the next generation. Uh, I know it's weird to applaud yourself, but go ahead and applaud yourself on that as well. And then lastly, uh, the young man that was just in the video KG, I was thinking, man, that brother got fast tracked, didn't he? I mean, he came, went to, he went to, he went to camp, uh, then he came to Christ, and then he's like on the big screen the next Sunday. So that's a big fast track for KG. So give him a, a big round of applause. He actually got baptized. He just got baptized in this service. So uh, anyway. Great, great job on that. Uh, I, I actually got to go down there this past Wednesday. Had a great time uh, with the students, and I share with them what should not be surprising to you if you go to church here very often, and that is that Lori and I, uh, a week or so ago, we made sure we made time uh, to go to The Lion King, all right? Some of you are like, The Lion King? I thought it was an old movie. It is, but it's new as well, all right? The animated version, one of the top five movies of all time, was made in 1994, and it was all animated, and now they came out with one that was done, I I guess just in CGI, right? So all of these animated pictures and animated characters were now in this CGI and looked real. I was like, man, I got to give me a little baby Simba. I mean, that is cute. This is the only time you'll ever hear me compliment cats, all right? But I was like, that brother is cute, all right? I don't want to keep him long. He'll grow up, he'll eat me. But it's the story say the same thing. All right, most, some remakes, they change a bunch. This remake changed virtually nothing. Maybe I caught maybe three to four lines that got changed throughout the whole movie. All right, if you hadn't seen the first one or the second one, I'm going to give you about three seconds because this is going to be a spoiler alert, all right? But here's basically the story. The story uh, is that it's about a young little kitten named Simba. He is supposed to be the future king. His dad is Mufasa. We talked about that a couple of months ago. And so that is his destiny in life, if you will. That's who he is supposed to be. He is supposed to grow up, learn some things, and then be a blessing to his territory, to his friends, to his family. That is what he is supposed to do. He is supposed to grow up, lead, and bless his territory. All of that is what he is supposed to be about. But because of a few things that happened, an incident that happened, and some, some, you know, some fooling him a little bit, he runs away in shame. He's ashamed. He's ashamed of what he thought he had done. And as he ran away, he meets a couple of uh, friends, uh, Timon and Pumbaa, all right? So he meets Timon and Pumbaa, and they begin to teach him a different way of life. 
Instead of being a king and having all this responsibility and having all this destiny that was put on him, he now begins to take a view of life and it was summarized in Akuna Matata, which means, hey, no worries, no worries. No worries, no responsibilities, no hunting, no none of that. Just enjoy life, take a nap, and everything will be great. And uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of cool at the start, and he's not sure he's going to buy into it. And then it kind of reaches a little point there where they're teaching him, listen, you're an apex predator, but we don't, we don't want you to eat us. And so they got to teach him, you know what, it's not about what you used to do. It's about, and he talks about eating grubs. It's like, I don't want you to eat us. So they break open this log and all these nasty insects come out, which they're used to eating, but he's not. He's a carnivore. He's the one that's supposed to be a meat eater. And they break this open. There's a classic line in there where he takes a grub, takes this grub, and he's like, I don't like this. I don't like this. But he takes the grub and he's like, he slides it down. He's like, slimy, yet satisfying. Slimy, yet satisfying. And you got to ask, the, but he, you, he, he didn't convince you that he was really satisfied. He didn't really convince you. As he slid down, he's like choking it down. And even in the next 20 minutes of the picture, even as he's sitting on a hammock, he's and he's singing these happy songs, you see this lion grow up, and yet it's not exactly how he's supposed to be. And it's not until way later in the movie he has this remember-who-you-are moment that things begin to change. As I thought about that scene, I thought I was reminded so much of the fact that God calls his sons and daughters who have repented of their sin and embraced Jesus by faith. They've been adopted into God's family. He calls us to be a blessing to our friends and to our family and the people around us. And a lot of stuff we remember. We remember a lot of the stuff that God says about us. We remember things like when he says we are forgiven and adopted and redeemed and blessed and saints and all these things. What we tend to forget, maybe even what we choose to forget, is there some other things he calls us as well as calls us to. He calls us fishers of men. He says that we are sent. He says that we are ambassadors for Christ. He says that we are called to make disciples. He says that we will be his witnesses. He says, when you are my witnesses, you will be empowered. Now, all that to say this, some of you are bored in church. You are bored in church, and you're not sure why. You're not sure why. You're kind of bored with your Christian life, and you can't pinpoint exactly what it is. I mean, you read your Bible when you can and when you remember. Uh, you say some prayers during the week. You're trying to raise your family as best you can. You're behaving as best you can, but you're like, oh, there's got to be something more than what's going on. There's got to be something more than just going to church and being a good person and raising a decent family, paying my taxes, mowing my lawn, and then dying. There's got to be more than that. And so there's this tinge of boredness to this. And here's what I want to just lay on you that is the missing piece to, I would say, 90% of us. And I know it scares you. I understand it scares you. My job today is to try to at least take a little bit of that away from you. But you got to get this thought in your head first. The best way to deepen your relationship with Jesus is to help someone else discover their relationship with Jesus. Let me say it again. You can go to all the Bible studies you want to. You can worship as passionately as you want to, but at some point you've got to understand the best way to deepen your relationship, to strengthen your faith in Jesus is actually to help someone else discover theirs. Now understand how that is a 
We're in a cultural moment where that is not a popular thing to say. There was a recent poll that came out that said 47% of millennials actually believe that it's immoral. 47% of Christian, self-professing Christian millennials say that it's immoral to share your faith with somebody else. Now understand that, understand that. Understand the cultural moment we're in is like, you know what, authenticity is the God. Uh, be yourself, be your true self, and don't try to change anybody else. I understand the cultural moment. And some of us that are over the millennial age, you're kind of like, oh, that's, that's so bad, this generation. But the truth of the matter is 90% of Christians in the U.S. have never in their lifetime shared their faith with anybody outside of their family. And just hope before you're a 60-year-old, poop on this next generation about how they won't do it. We haven't done it. 55,000 churches will close in the next seven years. That proves it. Now, two people don't like this. One of the Christians, because of those statistics I just said, and let me, before we jump into the text, I understand some of you are kicking the tires of the Christian faith. And this, as I say, anytime I preach on this subject, I will hear this. as I hate when you... This is what I hate about you Christians. So I hate about you Christians. You're always trying to convert me. Christian privilege actually was a trending topic this weekend. Christian privilege. And part of the deal was don't try to convert me. I hate it when you do that. And I understand what you're saying, but look at it from our perspective. Now we're not gonna push it on you. We want this to be a safe place for you to ask the questions. We're not going to embarrass you in any way, but look at it from our perspective. If we really believe what we say we believe, if we really believe that there was a man named Jesus who loves you, paid your sin debt on a cross and rose from the grave and invites you into a personal relationship with him, both now and in eternity, you would have to say, why don't you share that with me? So that's our perspective. If you have some friend that you've been with for six years, seven years, Maybe they invited you to church today. I want you to understand the reason they invited you to church today is that they don't want something from you. They want something for you, all right? That's the same way with us. So with those being said, here's where we are. We're in Colossians. Um, Colossians has been our summer series. Here's where we're gonna be. We're gonna be in here for this week, next week. We then go into a season that we started last year called 21 Days of Prayer, probably the most intense 21 days in the life of our church last year. Some of y'all saw God do some things in your family that you thought were virtually impossible. And then at Labor Day, we're gonna start a series. I won't tell you the title of it yet, but it's the one I asked you that we're gonna be addressing from a biblical perspective, four or five of the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective. So will it be tense in here? Yes, it will. Will I be nervous? Yes, I will. Will it probably be even colder in this room because I'll be sweating like a big man in a donut shop? Yes, it will. All that being said, let me know if there's still some. About six or 700 of you have already responded to say, I kind of got the order already. But uh, you be praying for that as we speak. So here we are, Colossians chapter four. Got two messages in it today and, and next week. And here's where we've been in Colossians. Colossians is called Exalted Over All. That was our series name. And it was called Exalted Over All because that's what the book is about. The book is about that Jesus is first. Jesus is first. Colossians one says it all comes through him and it all goes back to him. So he says Jesus needs to be exalted over all, chapter one, in your church. Jesus is to be exalted over all, chapter two, in your heart. 
Chapter three is exalted overall in your everyday life, your everyday life, like your marriage and your parenting and your work, all that stuff. And then chapter four is he is to be exalted overall in the ministry that God has called you to. And so uh, let me read the text. It's not a long one today uh, at all. And uh, Colossians chapter four, we're going to be in verse two to verse six. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Very interesting it would say that. The guy's in prison writing the letter, and he's like, hey, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. Verse 3, at the same time, at the same time you're praying, here's what he says, pray also for us. Us are some leaders that Paul wanted to recognize. You'll actually see some of them next week. Pray what? That God may open to us a door for the word. Door in the New Testament is the idea of opportunity. Pray that God would give an opportunity for the word, what? To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. A few more verses. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Outsiders is not a derogatory term. It's just a term that he's using for people who are outside the faith of Jesus. People who don't know Jesus as Lord. Walk in wisdom toward them making the best use of the time. And then verse six, which is a wealth of wisdom just in the one verse, he says, let your speech, okay, let your speech, speech would include any words that you say. Let your speech on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, the conversations that you have, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. All right, so here's what I want you to do in our time together. We're going to walk through these verses, and the whole time, and you've already thought about it, some of you, I want you to think about who is your one. There's a phrase we haven't really formalized around here, but we are today, and over the next year, you'll hear this phrase over and over and over again, is who is your one, all right? Who is your one? Who is the one person in your life that is best you know does not know Jesus and that you would say, you know what, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for this person consistently over the next year and then I'm also going to ask God to use me. That's who I want you to think about. Who is the one person? Who's the one? Other than your kids. Parents, it's super important you disciple your kids, but think outside of that for this message at least. So here's, I'm going to give you a few things in here. I'm going to be as practical as I possibly can just like the verses are. So let me give you three things, jot it down. If there's somebody next to you that uh, is not taking notes, and especially if they're a part of this church, just look at them and, and just shake your head in judgment. All right, look at them and just, I can't believe you're not taking notes. But this would be a great one to take notes on, particularly because I want this will be something you need to use, and it's a point of great fear for most of us. Okay, here's the first one. Pretty simple deal. You're going to do just what the, I'm going to walk this just basic Bible teaching. We're going to take three things that you see in the text and say, here it is. The first one is this, pray for, pray for opportunities, pray for opportunities, pray for opportunities. You see here in the text, he says, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word. I love looking at the video. The video, did you, you might've missed it, but in the early part of the video, it's like, we've been praying, we've been praying, we've been praying. That's where it has to start. Just pray, pray for an opportunity, pray for that person. I'll tell you how here in a little bit. But by this point in his life, Paul had done a lot. I began thinking about this church. This church is like 130 some odd years old. We talked uh, about a year ago about that core of 60 that were at a Wednesday night prayer meeting some 30 or so years ago. And they were sitting there in 30 years ago and they're crying out to God. 
And there's some of them that are still here and how easy it would be for them after seeing all that God has done to kind of sit back and say, you know what, I've done my part. Let's let some other people do it. And what you see here is at this point, Paul had done a lot. He'd been on missionary journeys, planted churches, testified in front of rulers. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. If anybody could have said, I've done my part, it was Paul. But here he is. He's like, God, would you open a door for the gospel? Now, again, remember he is praying from prison. If I was in prison, if I was in where the apostle Paul was, I'd be praying, get me out of here, okay? Get me out of here. And don't think of prison in that day and time as some place where they had cable TV and exercise yards. This was like a, a dungeon where part of the time he could be hung up upside down, all right? So this is not something that's not extremely difficult. So my prayer would have been, get me out of here. Is there anything wrong with praying that if you're in that situation? No, there's not. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, help me in this situation. But before he says, open the prison doors, he says, pray for strength not to waste a gospel circumstance. Now let this sit down. Paul knows God is in control. Paul knows Jesus is on his throne he also knows that it's a very difficult circumstance that he is in right now. But what he prays is, don't let me waste this gospel opportunity. We talked about it at the first of this book. What if we looked, what if we saw all our circumstances in this same way? Some of you are going through a difficult time. What if you saw, and if you're not going through one now, you're going to be going through one soon. That's called life, all right? Jesus did not promise us an easy life. He said, listen, you will have tribulation in this world, but take care, I have overcome the world. So you're going to have it, but what if you saw those difficult circumstances as actually gospel circumstances that God was opening up? And you look, and instead of seeing it as something that is a setback, look at it as a set up that God is setting up for you to have an opportunity to do what you've been praying for many times for years. And so here he is, like, God, give me an opportunity. Some of you are sick, and maybe God wants to show your friends and your family or even your doctor that, you know what, you have hope way beyond physical sickness. Maybe you uh, don't make the team. Maybe you don't get the job. So now you can show your friends and family, you know what? My identity is not wrapped up in the title on the door. I have a better identity. I'm a son or daughter, a servant of Almighty God. Maybe you don't get the raise when you deserve it, and you can show your friends and family and coworkers, you know what? I am content with what God has given me, and I will rest in him until that raise comes, all right? Maybe your marriage is in the toilet, and it's a very bad marriage, or maybe even your spouse cheated on you. And even during the midst of this seeming hell on earth, you can say, you know what? Even though my spouse was not faithful, God is faithful, and I can trust in him while I get through this dark season. So my whole point is this. When you're going through this time, this is your opportunity a lot of times for God to open up a door for some people that are watching you. They're watching you. I would even beg to say some of you going through a difficult time this morning, some people are watching even the way that you were worshiping a little while ago. And if your worship was super casual and super distracted, you know what, they're like, I'm not sure that she's really trusting in God right now. I know she's going through a hard time, but I'm not sure. But man, some of you are going after it and what that is a testimony of is you know what, she believes it. When she says, yes, I will, she actually means it. So here's my question. If God chose to answer all of your prayers last week, if he chose to answer in one fell swoop every prayer that you prayed over the last week, how many new people would there be in the kingdom of God right now? If God answered every prayer that you prayed last week, 
Nothing wrong with praying for your broken ankle. Nothing wrong with praying for Aunt Susie. Nothing wrong with a friend says, I want you to pray for me if I get sick. But answer the question, how many people would be in the kingdom if God chose to look back at last week's prayers and say, everyone is going to be answered right now? Pray for an opportunity. Pray for an opportunity. Okay, look at the text a little bit again. Let's, uh, this is the part we're going to get a little bit... Uh, philosophical about what we try to do as a church and what we, what we say all the time, and that is don't just pray for opportunities. Engage with the people right around you. Engage with the people. I remember 10 years ago, what we had, had to hit on over and over and over again is the Western North Carolina culture was changing, and particularly Asheville was changing, and we were worried. It's like, what happened? What's happened to my little small mountain town? And we had to reinforce that, listen, that is not the enemy. That is the mission field, all right? That's not the enemy, that is the mission field. All the concerns, all the, what happens with our culture? Listen, Christianity and the gospel has gone forth actually faster when the culture is against Christianity than when we're fat and happy and everything is with Christianity. Because when everything is a cultural Christian, we tend to get fat and happy and think that the power is in the government and not in the gospel. And so what's happening now is it's kind of getting pushed back on us and it's not all bad there. The church tends to lean out. The church tends to get stronger. Some of you are like, you know, that you see the statistics and it's like, it's just Christianity is going. Do you know that cultural Christianity has changed in our society? But as far as what we just call convictional Christians, people who practice their faith, that has stayed the same over the last 50 or so years. People that actually read their Bible or go to church or have conviction about their actual faith in Jesus, that hasn't changed at all. You know what's changed? What's changed is cultural Christianity. Those people that used to mark the box Christian when they would go to the doctor, now they mark the box none. And so what you've got to ask is, I've got to engage with the people. Who were, the, who were Paul's people? Well, right then, it was the people he would come in contact with in the prison. Now listen, he knows God is the one that saves, but also God gets the gospel out through people. Not perfect people, but changed people. Not perfect people, but changed people. I love my connect group on Tuesday night. And probably in May or so, we went to a, we had a passage that was kind of similar to this. And we asked the question, how come Christians are so reticent to actually step out and share their faith? And I was expecting fear of rejection or different things. And the number one answer that surprised me that was dominant was they know me. The reason I don't do it, I've lived in Asheville, I've lived in Franklin, I've lived here for years, and those people that I love and want to reach, they know me. And so let me just kind of take the burden off of you a little bit. It's not about you, okay? What you have to say is not about you. The gospel is not, you got religious and became a better person and are going to heaven. That's not the gospel, okay? That's not the gospel. The gospel, actually, the word gospel is the idea of an announcement, it's an announcement, just like in the first century, the word gospel would have been used to say, hey, a general won a battle and the victory is ours. And so they use that word now to say it's the good news that a victory has been won. The gospel is that Jesus did something that you could never do. And so it's not about you. Now, if you're a flaming hypocrite and you have no desire to live the Christian life, then I would just say, don't shame the name, okay? Keep your mouth shut. That would be a good one. But most of us, it's not about hypocrisy. It's a matter of thinking you got to be perfect. It's not perfection, it's progress, okay? It's not perfection. That's a, 
That's, you're like, where's that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. It's actually an equalizer from Denzel Washington. But it's still a very, very good point. It's progress, all right? Has there been progress? Has there been progress? Okay. Nobody's looking for Miss Perfect. They're just looking for, is there an authentic change? Because he says it's the mystery. It's the mystery of Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. Other people are like, well, I've had some people be rude, or they're going to think I'm some kind of crazy freak. And we'll, t- we'll talk about that in just a second. But here's what it's not. Particularly as our culture has changed, and they don't really think, they don't really think or expect it. And I'll talk about how the culture has changed in just a second. But it's not a sneak attack either. Um, I'm not a big Tom Cruise fan, but I became a little bit more of one than I, when I found out he did his stunts in his movies. Oh, that's, I'm impressed, number one, he does his stunts. I'm impressed, number two, that the dude never ages. How, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand how that even happens. I mean, you look at Top Gun from you know, 30 years ago, and you look now, and there's like, I understand plastic can do wonderful things. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it's amazing he hasn't done that. But he does his own stunts. And what I heard he did in one of the Mission Impossibles, I can't remember, it's like there have been about 300 of them, so it's like number 300, Mission Impossible. He did a halo jump. Did y'all know that? He actually did, he broke his ankle doing one of them, but he actually did for three scenes that they used, 106 halo jumps. Halo is a, what, high altitude, low opening parachute jump, which in the military, they'll do it to sneak up on people, so they'll free fall for a long time, and at the low altitude, poop, they'll do their shoot, and then they'll surprise the enemy. All that to say, a lot of people think that is what evangelism is about. It's like, I'm just kind of walking along, and everything is going good, and we're talking about how the Texans are going to win the Super Bowl this year, and boom, hey, if you were to die tonight, what, you know, what would you say to God? Why would he let you into my heaven? And you're like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy. It's not, it's not a sneak attack. As a matter of fact, when you see uh, what he's saying is, what does he say in the text? He says, walk in wisdom, walk in wisdom, walk, which means you do life with. Walk is not a physical walk. It means you do life with. He says, walk in wisdom. That doesn't mean no, study your culture, study your culture. I don't need to know about our culture. Listen, if you're a missionary, you study your culture. We send missionaries all over the world, and you know one of the first things that they do? A lot of them have to learn a brand new language, and even the ones that don't learn a brand new language got to spend months studying the culture in which they're trying to reach, all right? You don't acquiesce to the culture, but you certainly learn the culture in which you're trying to reach if you are a missionary. If you're not a missionary, you're just like, well, to heck with it. But he says you walk in wisdom toward outsiders, outsiders. Now, let me just take a quick note here. There are churches for insiders, and there are churches for outsiders. Let me just kind of put this. The churches for insiders. All right, insiders are uh, a church for insiders typically is extremely good on Bible knowledge, uh, but I, that, that baptistry is like dry as a bone. And so you got all sorts of master life classes and all sorts of Bible fatheads and everybody knows about all the dietary laws in the book of Leviticus and they can know all the different views of the Lord's Supper and all this kind of stuff. That's a church for insiders. Somebody comes in there, somebody comes into that place, it feels like a click. It feels like, you know what, you're not one of the insiders. There's a church for insiders. There's churches that are for outsiders. Outsiders are ones that you can walk in there and it can be an awesome place and you feel so at home, but very often there is very little depth, very little roots that are put down if it's exclusively for somebody who's outside the faith. Let me be, let me be on record to say we wanna be a church for both, okay? We wanna be on church for both. If it's a church for, if you're an outsider, we want this to be a place you can feel safe and ask the questions, 
kick the tires. Nobody's going to, as I said earlier, nobody's going to embarrass you. I want you to understand, you know what, God, you matter to God and you matter to us. You're not a project. You're a person. We love you and God loves you. If you're an insider, I want to go back to the original thing. The best way to deepen your relationship with Jesus is to help somebody develop theirs. And so the way to do that is to engage with people, with your culture. Now, before we get into the how-tos, let me just say this. Engaging with your people. What that means is, you know, we say something at the end of every service. You're loved and you're sent. You're loved and you're sent. That's not just a moniker. You're going to drive out of here. You're going to see a sign that says you're loved and you're sent. What that's trying to reinforce is what the whole church is about. It's like, all right, you're discipled, you're discipled, you're discipled, and then you go out throughout the week, and you are the missionary. That means it's, a lot of it is just being with people, playing on a flag football team with lost people, eating meals with lost people, reading the Bible with lost people. Not to use them, but to know them and to love them. That's why it says you make the best use of your time, the best use of your time. I will say this week, I thought I was thinking this week, kind of big pictures, thinking Bruce and Lori, I was thinking Biltmore Church, I was thinking what years I've got left, all that kind of stuff. And I've never been more convicted over what we have a choice to do. When he says, use your time wisely, redeem the time, buy it back. And so here's what it was, here's what reinforced. When you see the Bible, you and I have three choices when it comes to engaging our world. You do, and I do. The first choice that you have, and you do have these three choices. Choice number one is you can reject what the Bible actually says about heaven and hell and eternity. You can just reject it. Say, I deny what is said in there. That is called, by the way, that is called liberalism. I'm talking about religious liberalism. Religious liberalism says, you know what? I'm going to be an editor, not a messenger. I'm going to edit out the parts of the Bible that make me uncomfortable. And the ones that typically make us uncomfortable are things like sin and judgment and all that. And I would just say this, how foolish would it be? Can you imagine if there's actually another way to heaven that Jesus would have his son come and live on a cross, be tortured and die naked in front of men? If there was some other way, what would that be about? And so you and I can choose, you can choose to reject it. And churches have, and Christians have. I just don't wanna, I just don't wanna believe that. Second thing you can do that is more prominent is that is we can just ignore it. We can be distracted and ignore what Jesus says about eternity. We talk about it several times. You know, you're like, I don't like to think about some of those. Listen, Jesus is all about love, but he also said more about hell than he did about prayer, than he did about faith, than he did about heaven. Well, that's not on, that's a, he's telling the truth. And so you and I have a choice. We can either reject it or we can ignore it. But you can't really do that when you think about it. Not if, not if you're a, you can't really do that any more than if you're walking along and you see some child on a railroad track who's been injured and can't move and you hear the train in the distance. Nobody, nobody worth their salt at all would sit there and go, I'm gonna pray for that child. I'm gonna pray for that child. I'm gonna pray for, Lord, help that child to get off that railroad track. Somebody does that, you're like, man, you are so callous. You're not even going to go, well, I tell you what, somebody's going to come along and get her off those railroad tracks and rescue her. Nobody does that. Nobody. What you got to do is like, I'm gonna, you would do it. You would go over there and you would pick her up and you would bring her to safety. We would all do that. And so the last thing we have to do is I got to reorient. If, I, if, if, it's, if that's what it is, I, if I'm not going to ignore it, I got to reorient or as this text says, I've got to redeem the time. 
I've got to redeem the time. I've got to reorganize, reprioritize my priorities, my time, my schedule, my affluence, all that stuff. I've got to reorient that around the gospel message. Now, before I give you some hows, I know a couple of you are thinking already, let me try to poke a hole in these a little bit or at least get them out in the open. You're like, man, I'm going to feel awkward. I'm going to feel so awkward. And I would say, you're like, tell me something that's not going to make it feel awkward. I can't. I can't. All right, it's going to feel awkward at times. It's going to feel awkward. The question is not what can you say to make it not feel awkward. The question is, don't you think somebody's soul is worth the risk of the awkwardness? Do we have to ask? Some of you are like, I'll probably say the wrong thing. And I would just say, yeah, you, you, you probably will. I'll, just, I'll say something wrong. I'll say something wrong. You probably will. I mean, but thank God. I mean, God uses some very, God can, God can hit straight licks with a crooked stick, as they say. He absolutely can, okay? God actually spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament, okay? I kind of wanted to go King James there and use that version, but I don't want to distract you. I'm just saying, he can use a donkey. If he can use a donkey, he can use you, okay? There's another thing that sometimes trips us up a little bit. Uh, they're going to ask a question that I can't answer, all right? They're going to ask some question that throws me. And I would say this, uh, they probably will. They probably will. They probably will. People ask questions of me. I don't know how to answer them all. You know what? They asked the early apostles. Hey, they asked them some questions and they didn't have all, they were not one to faith because they could answer every question. All they did is they answered them as best they could, or they got the answer, but they continued to point them to the resurrection of Jesus. I can't tell you everything about suffering in the world, but I can tell you there's an empty tomb and there's evidence for that. Um, here's one last one. They might reject me. They might reject me. I might lose a friend. I might lose a friend. And I would just say this is you might, I would say there's two young men that invited KG. They, they, they risked losing a friend. He could have said, I forget that you guys are fanatics. You guys get away from me. They could have done that. But the question is, do you care enough for your friend to risk, risk losing the relationship? If it means the potential of God saving him, there's an atheist comedian named Penn Gillette, whose atheist friends were talking to him about how upset they were that Christians were coming and sharing their faith with them. Don't you hate it when those Christians come and try to share their faith? I hate it, I hate it. Here's what Penn Gillette said. Again, not a Christian, but he says, I get mad when they don't. He said, how badly do you have to hate someone to believe what you believe about Jesus and not tell them? Man, that's haunting. How bad do you have to hate somebody to believe what you believe about Jesus and then not do it. So what, what, do you, what do you want me to do? I want you to do this the last one and you're gonna see it in verse six is just try, take a step out of your comfort zone. Take a step out of your comfort zone. Now, what would that be? Look at verse six. Verse six is pretty clear. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Gracious is about showing grace. Seasoned with salt is about having some conviction. One of the things that we're going to look at in the culture series and after Labor Day is we want to be a church with tremendous conviction and tremendous compassion. Those need to be our bookmarks. Somewhere in there, you can engage the culture if you have incredible compassion for people and also you do not acquiesce your conviction. That's what you see in the text here so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, the reason I say comfort zone is twice in this one verse, it talks about speech talks about you're actually at some point going to have to you're at some point going to have to actually open your mouth and dialogue and engage. Now listen to me. I understand I understand this is a step out of the comfort zone. 
I'm going to give you about 10 ways here, just bullet, just bullets real quick. But before I do that, understand it is out of your comfort zone. I don't know anybody, and I've been doing this a long time, I still get nervous, not just talking to you, but talking to people. There's still time on an airplane when God puts somebody right beside me and I don't even strike up a conversation but keep my headphones on because I'm studying for a sermon to my shame. Don't laugh, don't laugh, don't laugh. You do it too, all right? That might be not a sermon, but it's a business meeting. So here's what you're gonna have to do. At some point, you're just gonna have to trust God with it. Told you a long time ago, uh, some of y'all actually probably are familiar with it. A long, long time ago in college, I was, at, I was a counselor at Canicut Camp up near Branson, Missouri, all right? Canicut Camp is just like, I don't even know what you, it is so, I mean, the facilities are just so off the charts. It's, it was off the charts a long time ago, and it's like crazy off the charts now. But one of the things you do as a counselor is you repelled, you repelled, and the way you did it, because you're going to take them on like a three-day wilderness journey, and part of it was repelling off a rock, and so they, they don't want you to fall as a counselor. That'd be like bad for business. So they're like, you got to figure out three days before the campers get there how to repel, and they've got this massive tower, and you climb up the tower, and you learn how to repel. Well, man, this guy hadn't, I hadn't, been, I hadn't repelled. I'm not into mountain climbing at all, but they're like, you got to do it. You don't want to look foolish in front of a bunch of eighth graders, so what do they do? They harness you in. They just on belay, on belay. I don't even remember what that means. I think that means Jesus help me. I'm not sure. But what it is is you get on this deal and you got this rope behind you and you've got to lean back and let yourself go trusting that that little rope will hold you up. I got to confess, it was five or six minutes before I could do it. I mean, I was up. Now, some of the guys that were big old football players, they couldn't do it. It felt so awesome, all right? They like had to do the walk of shame down the ladder, back down to the ground. It's like, really? You're, you know, so... The fact that I did it, I was pretty proud of, but it took five minutes of being still. At some point, you had to go, I got to believe this rope's going to hold me up. And it does. You can stop yourself just like that. Same way. At some point, you're going to have to step out that makes you nervous. You're not sure how it's going to go. And you got to step out in faith to your one. You're like, how am I supposed to do that? Let me give you three ways real quick, all right? Here's the first one. Invitation. Invitation. Now, let me say, Biltmore Church, you guys get an A-plus in this. You get an A-plus in this. A lot of the growth that God has given us and all this is because you have invited uh, people. You invite them to camp. You invite them to church. You invite them to connect group. You invite them. You invite them. A-plus in that. And by the way, again, if you're here today, somebody invited you, it's because they love you. Okay? It's they love you. Now, they don't probably come up to you and go, I love you, bro. But I'm just saying they love you. They want something for you. They don't want something from you. Same for us, all right? You're a person. You're not a project. God loves you. We love you. You matter to God. You matter to us. But invitation is very much of a New Testament thing. Just jot down in your margin. John chapter 1, 45 and 46. You got a couple guys here. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom the Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Here's what it means. What it means is there's going to be a time when it's like, you know what? I don't know the answer to your question. Just come on. I don't know the answer to that question. I can't answer about why there's suffering in the world, but just say, I don't know how to answer this, but come and see. Okay. And you can do it at every campus. You got these little invites here. They're at the, they're in the lobby all the time. There shouldn't be a time when you have a meal out and leave a good tip a generous tip, a gracious tip, leave one of these. Oh, this is an invite, all right? You're like, well, that's not much. It's better than nothing. And so an invitation, it's very good. Other invites you could do is read books, read books. Read a book with somebody. Read the case for Christ. 
somebody's got these questions, read The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It's a great apologetic book. The number one thing that non-Christians say that they would like is more evidence of the Christian faith. Guys like Lee Strobel do a fantastic job, or Keller's book, Reason for God. Just say, hey, I don't know all the answers. You want to read a book together? And then read the book and just talk about it. Let the authors who God has gifted, let them answer some of those questions. For, 44% of non-Christians say they would be more open to the Christian faith if someone would show them some evidence. I mean, half the people you meet that have no interest in Christianity, if you said, hey, let's read a book, they actually would have more interest, all right? So uh, invite them, invite them to read a book, um, invite them uh, over to your house to have dinner, uh, ask uh, somebody, hey, can, how, can I, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Now don't be, just be careful in our society about who you ask, all right? Just be, be cool. But if you can, especially if you're the couple people, just say, hey, anyway, I can pray for you. Somebody's serving you. Hey, we're about to pray for a meal. Can we pray for you? Now you might get a couple of lame answers at the start. Would you pray for world peace? Okay, fine, world, world peace is fine, all right? Let's pray for world peace. But here's what's gonna happen. Is when the bottom falls out of that person's life, particularly if you see them constantly when the bottom falls out, they're like, hey, that joker was praying for me. Maybe he's got something that, is, that I don't have. It's happened to me five or six times. There's a guy in college that had no interest in Christianity, calls me up when I'm in seminary. I lead him to Christ on the phone. I made no, I made no progress in college. But when the bottom fell out of his life and he loses his job, who does he call? Not Ghostbusters, he calls me. He calls me. It's like, hey, tell me what you were trying to tell me back in college. All right, here's a second way. All right, here's another one, your story. Share your story. Share your story. I know sometimes when we think about your story, you're like, I got a lame story. I got a lame story. Nobody has a lame testimony story. Nobody does. Don't compare your story to somebody else's story. I mean, some of you are like, well, I don't have a story. Like, you know, there's a guy a few months ago when he was like a cocaine addict and he got saved and and, I don't have that story. Listen, nobody has a lame story. It's like, I take my wife's story. My wife's story is she grew up in a Christian home. She grew up in a Christian home, thought she came to Christ at an early age, but then later on realized she didn't, and then she came to Christ later on as a late teenager, and then God is teaching her stuff even now. That's not a lame story. That is a great story. Just share your story. Uh, I'll give you an example. One of the first evangelists, John 4, the woman at the well. All right, Jesus engages her, talks with her, which, by the way, is a good reminder. When you share your story, it's a dialogue, not a monologue, Okay. It's not a matter of you telling them everything they need to know. It's a dialogue where you listen to people and then share what God has done in your life. This is where I was before. This is what Jesus did, and this is what he's teaching me now. But you do so in the context of that relationship. And then lastly, and this is the part that will, uh, this is going to scare you, okay? It's like JV, uh, first string JV, V, okay, varsity right here. But share, share the gospel. How do you share the gospel? I'm going to give these, listen quick, all right? Hundred examples. I was actually going to bring some goofy ones out here that I think uh, we have gone uh, trying to make it cute. And he prays, God, help me to make it clear, not cute. You don't have to be cute, all right? I'm not trying to high side on those testaments. I'm just, I'm just on those testaments. I was like, what is that? A ministry to people with halitosis or what? I mean, what is that? What is a testament? That's those little, those laments. Just be clear. Just be clear. Tons of places to do it. Memorize one verse, Romans six twenty three. You'd have the whole gospel right there. It's Romans 6.23. Memorize that one verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. He's got everything right there. Sin, substitution, a savior. got all that stuff right there, okay? We taught you the three circles. That's pretty good. That gets a little complicated for me, to be honest with you. I'm kind of a little more simple than that. 
John 3.16, you, you got the whole thing right there. Romans Road, all that stuff. Here's, here's the way we'll end. All right, I'll give it to you real quick. Just think ABC for a second. You're like, I don't know how to share the gospel. You know how the ABCs. ABCs, first one is this. It, if you're trying to lead somebody to Christ, they got to admit they're a sinner. Not a mistaker, okay? Not a little, not, I know sin is not real popular nowadays. But I'm saying before somebody's got to have the good news, they've got to understand the bad news. And the bad news is they got to admit that I'm a sinner. I've broken God's law. I've broken his heart. I'm not a mistaker. I'm not a skittle. I'm, I'm so bad. I'm so bad it cost the son of God his life. So they got to admit they're a sinner, that sin, they've broken God's law. If, you don't, if they don't have any examples, turn to the Sermon on the Mount or the Ten Commandments. It'll be pretty quick. Okay, B, they got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They got to believe, believe in Jesus Christ. Now, believe in Jesus Christ is not believe that Jesus Christ. This is where it goes. Believe in Jesus Christ is different than believe that Jesus Christ. Okay, believing that something happened is not the same as believing in something. Okay, I believe that there's a football team in Knoxville that wears orange. I believe that's a reality. I don't believe in that football team, all right? I don't believe in that football team that they're going to be successful, so I don't trust in that football team. And what he says is you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that what he did on the cross was for me. And then C is confess that he is Lord. That's called repentance. Repentance says I'm not the boss. He's the boss. When Jesus and I disagree, he's right. I'm wrong. I will change. So here's where we are. Who is your one? Who is your one? Who is your one? Who's the one person you will say that I will pray for over this next year and I will ask God to give opportunities for me to actually share my story, share the ABCs, share an invitation with? Who is that one? Now, some of you have been praying for people a long time and you want to give up. Please hear me. Here's what's going to happen this year. I promise you this will happen. What will happen this year at every campus is you will go up to a pastor or a campus pastor on some Sunday and say, hey, my one is getting baptized. I led them to Christ this week. My one, can I get another one? And the answer will be no. Yes, obviously you can have another one. But right now, just think of that one person that you're gonna pray. You're like, I've been praying a long time and here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of this. Isaiah says this, the, the, ar- the, Lord of the, ar- the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ears too dull to hear. God's arm is not too short to save. Pick the person, pick a person that might be like, man, that's a tough nut to crack. I'm not sure if that's actually gonna take place. God's like, my arm's not too short to save. My arm's not too short to save. My ear is not too dull to hear.